Hi, and welcome back to Things of Interest. I'm Sophia Friends. And I'm Serena Chen. And this week, well, this episode, this return to format, we're going to be talking about your brain on pandemic. As you might have guessed, we've had a bit of a hiatus. That's because Serena, my wonderful, esteemed, intelligent <laughs> co-host, moved across the world right as a pandemic started. She didn't plan yes. this. <laughs> Unplanned. I, I didn't. Yep. Confirmed. Confirmed. <laughs> you um, are correct. <laughs> but it meant that we, the two of us, have definitely had a heck of a year, as I'm oh, sure yes. everyone has. And we thought a really nice way to kind of get back into it would be to talk about how all of our brains are broken now and no one remembers how to interact. So before we kicked off, Serena was talking, we were both commiserating over the fact that when giving a talk, quote unquote, publicly, so over video calls now, unless you are blessed and live in New Zealand, it feels so weird. So yeah. I've had the privilege of giving a few talks in my workplace and being on panels this year. I also teach and so I give feedback to students through Zoom currently. And it feels like a sense of mine is missing. Like I've lost, I can't feel a chunk of the room. And I didn't realize really how heavily I relied on like the sense of what the room is doing in order to like feel confident that I'm giving a good talk or that what I'm saying is useful or relevant. Mm -hmm. How does it, how has it felt to you, Serena? Yeah, exactly that. Like even for not just talks, but back and forth conversations as well. I just never realized how much I relied on body language. Like I never thought of myself as someone who was versed in body language. I just thought, oh, I'm just, you know, your standard nerd who tries to fumble her way through conversation. But no, actually body language is so, so important and conveys so much information. I never noticed how much I relied on posture changes. like when someone leans forward, leans back, where people are looking in the room, like if they're, where their body is turned, like this is all stuff that I never noticed I was looking for subconsciously. And now it just means that when I'm giving a talk, it means that I'm panicking, just low-key <laughs> panicking in the background, like, oh my God, no one's there, everyone hates this. <laughs> And when I'm having a conversation, usually what happens in, you know, IRL is that you kind of can feel when someone in the room is ready to, to take over the speaking role, right? And so that kind of tells you, okay, it's time to stop speaking. Whereas over video call, you don't get the same signals. And so what ends up happening is that I just trail off awkwardly and then I forget my original point. And it's, it's just super awkward and super weird. And it's what I'm doing right now. <laughs> Although, I mean, we had this over, over it. We, we, we turned our videos on to try and make this as easy as possible. We normally will, will record without video, but I figured we need every help we can get right now. Yeah, I mean, I'm like, as someone who is autistic, I don't think been like, oh, when a person has more tension in their face, they're paying more attention to you. Like, but I definitely had the rules in my head of how to like give a good talk and how to read a room and make sure people are listening and responding to me. And now when I give talks, it just, I am terrified that everyone's just left the call and I haven't noticed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What's worse <laughs> is that like, fear. 
Because everyone's working from home, everyone's got like all of these distractions. Like so many people are with their babies that need constant attention and frankly is more important than whatever call, you know, we're talking about on the call. So like in the middle of a call, you'll just see people leave their desks and walk away while you're still talking. And it's like, I know that there is a good reason for that. Like people wouldn't just do that because people are very polite. In fact, too polite sometimes. <laughs> and I know that like there's probably something more urgent, but gosh, it, it also, I don't know. It, it just, it just really hits you. It like makes you feel like, <laughs> oh crap. <laughs> am I, am I not, am I not being interesting enough right now? What's yeah. the biggest change you've noticed? over this year like how your brain works or how you're interacting with people I thought I would miss social interaction enough that I would be just constantly calling friends and talking to friends what ended up happening the reality was that I definitely missed everyone and I missed the social interaction but I ended up like not calling friends and not reaching out to people and when I did reach out to people my like frizzled brain would just forget this is like a whole different thing as well different to the social interaction part which is you know people keep talking about how time doesn't exist this year and everything's melded together but quite seriously like I have set I have four alarms every day on my phone one to wake me up one to tell me to eat something at lunchtime, one to tell me to eat something at dinner time, and one to tell me to turn off the screens and go to sleep. Because for a while I didn't have those alarms and literally like just time did not exist. <laughs> like I felt like I was back at university and on this year when like time also didn't exist, except without like a big thing that I was working on. <laughs> like I just I had no overarching goal and just in this like weird kind of milkshake slurry <laughs> yeah I think I mean the time not existing thing is absolutely a stress brain thing it's mm -hmm. a little bit like if you don't have new things you experience on a regular basis your brain yeah. is like oh this is all one day yeah <laughs> don't know what to tell you they were all the same day yeah as well as just, like, because we're so much in a state of, like, fear and concern about the world, particularly near the beginning of the pandemic, it was very much like you only form the important memories. Mm -hmm. And so during that time, you would have had, like, very good knowledge of numbers of cases. Oh, <laughs> Not yeah. Not so much good knowledge about when you last called a friend. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if, if you did this as well, but, like... I remember the, the first few days of the pandemic when it got really bad and it was like, oh, like lockdowns are coming, that kind of thing. And this was before like we knew how to go to the supermarket in a pandemic. Yep. And this is before we had a better idea of relative risk as well. Like we didn't know what things were high risk, what things were low risk. This is, this is way before there was even talk of like aerosol transmission rates way before talk of ventilation and I remember planning to go to the grocery store and thinking I don't know when 
or like which grocery store or like what to do and I'm in a foreign country as well like I have no idea where anything is and just sitting down at my little notepad writing down the like past week of case numbers the trajectory and trying Mm. to extrapolate the trajectory to see like how long do I have before I really should not go outside anymore and shit that was stressful fuck gosh it, it seems surreal thinking back to that time now yeah you were also like you had a very bad flu when you first arrived in Germany. Oh my gosh. Which that was also definitely bad. didn't help. <laughs> no. It's like, you know, when you travel and you get sick and that's totally normal and you're just like, oh, well, it's just going to suck for a bit. But during a pandemic, you're like, am I going to die? <laughs> yeah. I think, I mean, I certainly have a lot of friends who have various disabilities, some of which compromise their lungs, some of which compromise their immune systems, and they still mm-hmm. get to dance that dance right now and as well like i think the big country that's fucking up real bad right now let's not talk about america is actually (laughs) the uk yeah i'm just pretending they don't exist they're living their best young adult dystopian novel life and Mm -hmm. they can just keep doing that and okay i'm just i can't bring myself to talk about them on the show yet but the uk like their curve is basically a straight line right now and i think for a lot of people who listen and a lot of people i think we both know will have family and friends in the uk yeah and that is so anxiety inducing (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) quite a few people i know who usually live in the uk they went home for christmas to New Zealand and this was like right before the right now it's really bad and I don't know if I were them I'd be thinking like do I want to go back (laughs) probably not right yeah (sighs) I yeah it's very strange living in Australia and having the both the luxury of like you know we've got a few cases right now we've got a handful of cases happening yeah but Victoria had 60 days without local transmission. Yeah, mm-hmm. New South Wales had 40 days without any community transmission. Mm-hmm. We went through like that really harsh lockdown and it paid off for us. And so I talked to like friends and colleagues and they're like, oh, so are you going to go home for Christmas? Are you planning on going home for the break? And it's like, no. No. Who are you? Where you're like, oh, let's put my like elderly family at risk. Like airports are hotbeds of infection, right? Like you made that comment before, very offhanded, right? Like about how you just kind of get sick when you travel. That's Mm. because airports just like, they're mostly disease. (laughs) (laughs) They're disease and there are a few planes that go in there. Like that's, (laughs) that's how you get sick, buds. And usually when I travel, I just kind of lump it. I'm like, okay, like I'll probably get a cold or something on this flight or like, You know, might even, if I'm really unlucky, get gastro. That just happens when you're traveling. But when it's something that, like, just kills a bunch of people over 60, has these really severe, like, long-term implications, I'm like, I'm not going anywhere near an airport. Yeah. And (sighs) it's like, especially if you've been through a hard lockdown, it's like, we worked so hard to get here. I am not fucking that up. Okay, so from, from an overseas perspective... It is, I I don't know how to uh, put into words how frustrating it is that we didn't, like, the entire European bloc just say, hey, everyone, look, it is going to suck for, I don't know, 
six to eight weeks is going to suck a lot. We will pay you to do what the New Zealand government does. We will pay you to not fire people. We will pay you to stay home. We will pay you to do nothing. Stay home six to eight weeks. It's going to suck. We all hate it, but we're going to do it. And then we would have been out of this mess in, like, fucking June. Like, I just... Well, and, you know, fair, fair props to, like, the New Zealand government and the various state governments in Australia. The federal government's done fucking nothing. But, like, this is what places like Thailand and Vietnam have done. This is, like, Mongolia, I think, had no cases of community transmission, despite being right next door to Wuhan. Because they saw that coming and they were like, you know what? We're going to close our borders. <laughs> yeah. We're going to say no. <laughs> I think that's something we've seen a lot of in this pandemic. And I mean, we, we see it all the time. We talk about it on this podcast all the time. But yeah. like this like Western exceptionalism idea that like, oh, if a white country does it, like where else could possibly have done it? And it's yeah. like, mm, like, I know one of Vietnam or Thailand, and I apologize for not knowing specifically which one. The government delivered food to people's houses and they were just like, stay at home for four weeks. You don't even have to leave to get food. Everyone is getting food delivered. Stay at home. Yeah, that's exactly what happened in Wuhan as well. They just got food. I remember video calling my uncle, my uncle's family who lives in Wuhan. And this would have been maybe like a month into their lockdown. This would have been in February. Uh, early February back in the day (laughs) and we were like oh how are you doing like how's it going and my auntie's like oh you know just making food she was like making dumplings and bao and stuff she's just like uh well we've got nothing else to do except make food and like read and and we're like what and she's like yeah you know we get food delivered my uncle's in the background like um (laughs) running a lap around the apartment (laughs) just like getting some exercise I I don't like, I don't mean to, to paint this as, like, they had a good time. It was not a good time. But, yeah, everyone just kind of understood that this is what had to happen to control the virus. Something that also has baffled me, especially looking at the communications of the the governments in, in the European countries, specifically the UK, because... Sweden? Oh, my God. <laughs> can we, okay, can we we'll talk get about to Sweden. Sweden, Sweden was, like, <laughs> fucking next level oh my goodness (laughs) no i was thinking more like germany uk uk because i i speak english and i don't speak a lot of other languages here but what has baffled me is the wanting to not cause a panic and having that be the main goal of every single public health communication. No matter what is happening, they're like, okay, so look, this stuff has happened, but please do not panic. And I mean, like, I understand that people shouldn't panic. It, it does no one any good to panic. But when, when every single message has the goal of not panicking people, they fail to communicate the real danger levels. Yeah. And it sometimes people just need to be told straight up what is happening. Like things are bad, hospitals are overrun. Yeah. Stay home. Cuz like the people who will die during an uncontrolled pandemic are not just people who get coronavirus. And oh god, I'm sure everyone's heard this to death, but like it is the people who you get into a car accident and there's no space in the ICU for you. 
because yeah. it's full of people with coronavirus. You need a respirator for a different reason, and there are no respirators because of mm-hmm. like the uncontrolled spread of this coronavirus. That's so much more than it's so much more than just the pandemic. It's everything around it, and it's the capacity of our hospital systems, which. I know in a lot of places in Europe are really under strain and we're pretty lucky in the Antipodean countries to not have that strain right now, but it could so easily spiral out of control. So two two things. The, oh, what was I going to say? <laughs> Brain fog. Excuse me. I think the other thing, of course, to say while you think about what you're going to say is that stuff like brain fog, stuff like being unable to focus on things, stuff like feeling like you've done fucking nothing this year. If you're just like, who am I? What have I done? I've just turned up to work sometimes and I've been so anxious the whole time. I've done like negative nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's all normal, right? Because I think what people really need to understand sort of within Mm -hmm. themselves is essentially we're living through a little apocalypse. There's like a baby apocalypse happening around us and we're just having to go to work. Yeah. And that's, wild right like don't get me wrong it was still wild last january in australia when the entire country was on fire fuck i keep forgetting that happened also wild to have to go to work during that apocalypse now we've got a different one it was bad like it was really bad yeah oh i keep getting very angry when people forget it happened because the air was bad we are so lucky to be in a la nina year this year so it's a it's a very fucking cold, wet yeah. summer this year. Another one? And it's so good because Ugh. can you imagine a respiratory virus pandemic oh my God. on top of the country being yeah. on fire? Yeah. yeah. Gosh. Okay, I think I've remembered what I was going to mention. Read the lockdown and the hospitals at capacity and how like no other treatments can happen because the entire hospital is overrun with COVID. I keep hearing about people complaining that surgeries have been cancelled because of lockdown. And not just elective surgeries, like cancer surgeries, important surgeries that were scheduled that can't happen anymore because of lockdown. And every time I see that, it's like, it's not because of lockdown. It's because the hospitals are full of COVID. Or they're not allowed to have as much capacity because of COVID. Because of COVID, exactly. And it bugs me because it makes it sound like we could have if we didn't if we weren't so quote-unquote afraid of the virus we we could have these life-saving surgeries risk-free but we just chose not to because we're shaking in our boots we're scared Ooh, but yeah (laughs) it's it's frustrating because it's like these these are not decisions these and the, well, I mean, the, they, they are decisions, but they're, they're sensible decisions, right? Yeah, they're not light decisions. They're hard decisions yeah. to make, but they have to be made because it's like you can usually, you know, when you have, say, transplant surgeries, you have to suppress your immune system. During a pandemic, that seems like a bad idea. And you're going to have the surgery yeah. at hospital over on COVID. Hmm. Seems bad. Seems bad. The second interesting thing about the hospital capacities in lockdown was that the hospital capacity here and especially in Germany is incredibly good extremely good like I live in a city with a population of about Auckland which is a small city it's actually smaller than Auckland population wise there are like 
three big, big hospitals near me. And they're all connected to, like, teaching universities. So they're all teaching hospitals. Oh, nice. Yeah, this is really cool. And I was there in one of them for a week. <laughs> I mean, I'm still here, so that's good. Um, and, yeah, just... An incredibly impressive healthcare system. Everything is so efficient. There are so many staffed beds. And it's great. And I, I compare that to New Zealand. You know, this year I found out that we have 153 staffed ICU beds. And I was like, oh, okay, that seems low per 100,000, but that's fine. And then it was like, no, 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 no. Not per 100,000 population. For the whole country. The whole country... A lot of that is because so much is controlled by the district health boards. They basically get to be their little dictators of their little regions, and that's why it's things like, if you hear me dunk on a hospital, I'll be talking about the Otago Southland DHB. Hey, I'm I'm totally on board. I'm just stunned at how underfunded our healthcare, our entire healthcare system is in New Zealand, and how much stress and strain all of the doctors and nurses are put under, like, their shifts, 12-hour shifts. Yeah, and that was only got through unionisation. <laughs> it is baffling. It is absolutely baffling. Every time they have a strike, it's like, oh, my God, why don't we just pay them? Like, goodness. That's a different episode. That's a different episode. <laughs> but, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting <laughs> because it was due to the fact that Even if we had the tiniest outbreak in New Zealand, our entire health system would have fallen. And it was due to that fact that the government acted so strictly. And I'm glad they acted strictly because, holy shit, that would have been really bad. But it's it's also kind of ironic that because I'm assuming it was a it was a factor in the decisions around the response in Germany and and a bunch of countries here in Europe is that because the healthcare system is actually really good, people felt like they could just, you know, chill. <laughs> Go to a beer garden. Mm, mm. That's fine. It's, yeah, yeah, it's something I found really interesting in Victoria. And I'm, like, when I talk about Australia, I'm just going to be talking about state responses. Mm. There's plenty of writing out there if you want to go and read it around how the federal government has done fucking nothing and at some points has actively tried to undermine the state's responses to COVID. So Scott Morrison, if I could punch you, I would. But (laughs) something I found really interesting was I had a pap smear due this year and talking to my doctor about it, it was during Victoria's lockdown. And I was like, look, should should I delay Mm. this? Given that I would be, you know, I'd be coming into you, I'd be having it with you. If we had to have any follow up, it would be at the Royal Women's where everyone is pregnant. Mm. And she was like, no, don't delay it. <laughs> like, what if you have cancer, Sophia? Like, we need to get onto it now. I'm like, thank you, as always, for making me feel very calm about this procedure. <laughs> Just a normal checkup. That's fine. I found it surprising that they were just like no no no, like we want you to keep getting these tests and all these follow-ups as normal we don't want you to come to the doctor and be like oh no I've got a sniffle I need a certificate everything should be telehealth as much as possible Mm. but generally we want people to keep getting their regular checks because otherwise you know on the other side of this or whenever lockdown loosens there's going to be this huge backlog of like people that will need medical care or stuff will get so severe they will have to go to hospital 
And then, like, what was the point of trying to stay out of the system? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I noticed during, ooh, I want to say, like, May, June, July, August, September, like, those months where the, the curve had gotten a bit better, I saw all these ads on Instagram from the German government that was like, if mm. you have a health emergency, please call the emergency number, please go to the hospital. Because they were getting reports that people were just avoiding going to any kind of healthcare services, even in emergency situations because of the virus. I guess that's like the other thing that is also deadly is that people aren't getting healthcare, sometimes not because they can't, but because they don't want to, because who would want to go to a hospital at this time, right? I mean, the flip side of this, right, mm. is that like telehealth has been a critical piece of healthcare. Yeah that's been required for I would say probably a decade in Australia right Mm -hmm. to access like really remote areas of Australia or to access people who just like have you know significant disability that means they can't physically access stuff and everyone's been a real butt about putting telehealth into action except for like some hospitals turns out as with everything this pandemic this is one of my (laughs) real bugbears where I'm just like This has been a good thing to come out of this pandemic. And I'm so angry it didn't happen earlier. It's just like, it turns out all of the access requirements, the disabled people, remote people, people who can't travel for whatever other reason, like we're asking for, turns out they were really easy to provide. And like most companies did them within like two weeks. Mm -hmm. I... At the beginning of the pandemic, I quit my terrible previous job and started an excellent new job. Congratulations. Thank you. And at my previous workplace, I've been sort of going like, hey, like you've got this all hands meeting coming up that's mandatory to attend. The building you have it in is inaccessible for me, right? Like I cannot climb the stairs. The temperature's all fucked up. Mm. Like it just, it doesn't work for me on multiple levels across multiple of my disabilities. I know you live stream it to other like centers. Can I get it live streamed? Yeah. And they were like, oh no. I'm like, but you, you do live stream it. Like you live stream it to our other offices. Mm. So could I just get like a stream, like one of those offices get? And they were like, oh, it's just, it's really complicated and it's really hard. So I quit that job, got a new job. <laughs> Much better, mm-hmm. way cooler about disability um, and gender and everything that matters to me. And it's a better work environment and all of the work I do is better. So <laughs> I've lucked out. And I was talking to a friend back at work and they were like, oh, so it turns out all that they really needed was a pandemic in order to be like, oh, now we can just live stream this to everyone. And it's like, oh, also my disability wasn't important enough. Like, despite that being kind of like, <laughs> I'm pretty sure there's the United Nations Declaration of Human Rights about how you should have been supporting me. But as soon as the government was like, don't put all those people in a room together. You're like, oh, actually, it's just very easy to do this. It's very straightforward for us to make this change. Fuck off. It, the COVID relief payments in New Zealand as well. Comparing how easy and how like non-judgmental and all of the processes around getting that money compared to welfare and how fucking ridiculous and just such an ordeal that you have to go through and the shame that you have to endure just to like get a benefit check to live and find a job like god two things one funny one depressing when the australian government announced they were doing a sort of covid support thing and that was accessible through centrelink which is our equivalent of 
wins or going on the benefit the Centrelink website went down and the federal government was like oh it was a ddos attack and it's like it's not a ddos attack if that many people are actually trying to use your services that's just people using like that's just that's just your website being bad (laughs) like i don't it's not an attack but it's like trust me on this one the other thing is of course it's wonderfully depressing to now watch australia and new zealand take the benefit back down to the level that it was before covid hit Despite, specifically in New Zealand's case, the working group put together by the Labour government saying, definitely raise the benefit, it's way too low, like people mm-hmm. are in poverty. Labour government going, I don't know though, what should we do? It's a mystery. Oh, that's going to make us unpopular <laughs> with the national voters and truly the oh. people we love the most. A rich conservative Fuck voters. you, you got 60% of the vote. Mandate for change. I think the most frustrating things about a whole bunch of decisions that have been made during the pandemic and you know before as well and generally (laughs) and generally is that I know if I were to confront the people who made these decisions they would have perfectly fine arguments backing up their decisions and like I could I can see things from their point of view but just They are making decisions that aren't just, like, theoretical game theory moves. These are decisions that affect people's lives in a very real way. And it just feels like they don't get it. Yeah. And I mean, like, generally I'm I'm a big UBI bitch, so I'm just like, yes, raise the benefit 24-7, make it easier to get, support people to get volunteer roles, don't just emphasize paid work, because like, if you're like, oh, work's good for your brain, then like, volunteer work is also good for your brain, get it together. Volunteers are critical to the functioning of our NGO section of the economy, so support people on that too. But then, your government put together a working group, and their findings were that you should raise the benefit. And you're like, oh, I don't know, though. What's the right decision? It's so unclear. Isn't it so funny? How Legalize marijuana, fuckers. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) We can't get into it. Isn't it so funny how people in positions of power will be like, let us consult the experts. Experts, tell us what you think. And the experts will tell them what they think. And they're like, great. I don't like that, so we're not going to do that. <laughs> it's like, well, f- why did you fucking ask in the first place? Oh my gosh, don't even get me started about the marijuana referendum. <laughs> I've missed you. <laughs> I've missed you. <laughs> oh, it's been a tough year. <laughs> okay, what what good thing has happened to your brain this year? What is the good change you have seen in how you think or interact or whatever? <laughs> oh no um, just like 30 seconds of silence we can yeah. play some crickets noises <laughs> well okay no, no no let's earnestly think about this I have <laughs> much lower expectations of myself that's which I'm really gonna, good yeah I'm gonna count as a as a good thing for so <laughs> I think this was the first year of Intermediate, year seven. I remember there was some kind of, like, you know, cringeworthy inspirational talk at school assembly. I can't remember what it was about, 
But I remember there was this one phrase that really stuck with me. And shit, I can't even remember who said it, but someone who was talking told this like big story, what blah blah blah. But then in the middle somewhere, they said, bite off more than you can chew and then chew it. And I don't know why that stuck with me, but it did. And it became like, I mean, not consciously. I didn't think, oh, yes, I, I think that's a great little, oh, sounds, sounds good, tight little phrase. I'll, I'll take that with me. Like, I didn't consciously think any of this. But what happened was that I took that with me going forward in everything that I did. And so I would overcommit myself and then I would somehow get it all done. And I don't know how, mostly through a lot of, a lot of all-nighters, essentially, and a lot of stress <laughs> and a lot of doing things at the last minute. But that's how I carried myself throughout all of life after that, <laughs> which seems healthy, sure. I think it, it really started to become clear that it was not a sustainable approach. It was not a good, it was not a healthy approach to, you know, everything in life. Maybe, I want to say, like, two, four years ago. I don't know. It, it hasn't been sustainable forever, so let's let's be honest about that. And I would tell myself this. I'd be like, sorry, you need to say no to more things, and you need to do less, or you need to, like, just be more focused and selective with what you do. So, like, give the same amount of effort to a smaller <laughs> group of things. And I feel like... It's like an annual ritual. Like every year I would have to like go through this kind of self-talk stage where I'm like, I can't keep working like this. And then every year I would ignore myself. <laughs> and this year, like I, I could not physically do more. And kind of being forced to expect less and to not feel like this is some kind of visceral internal failure, I think is eventually in the long run going to be very good. Because back in the day, like even when I told myself, hey, this is not sustainable, you, you can't keep overcommitting yourself. When I would pull back on commitments, I would feel... I would feel like shit. And now that this has become like a therapy session. Thank you. <laughs> but, but yeah, that's that's one that's one positive thing that has happened this year is the the how the pandemic has has forced everyone to do less. And I think it's catalyzed a lot of people asking ourselves like what the point of our productivity is, what yeah. what we get self-worth from what we base our yeah. identities around and whether that is a healthy whether those are healthy things to base self-worth and identity around yeah how about you well i haven't worn a bra in 10 months so that's been fucking phenomenal oh yeah that's good no seriously i think i think the really big thing for me is going to be like moderately depressing but it's fine i've started to embrace my femininity again and like my feminine mm -hmm. side and like I wear dresses more and I wear makeup more and I look girly some more because 
after like the first sort of harsh lockdown we had in like March, April, May, June, July, it was just kind of like this realization that if I'm not being misgendered regularly, which I was a lot at my shitty previous job, and it's just part of the nature of kind of being non-binary is that when you're out in the world, it is more likely than not that like when you buy your coffee or when you go into a shop or when you do anything, you'll be misgendered. Mm. And not having that pressure on my life made me feel so much better about myself and my gender. And I was just like, oh, it could be this good. So that was like a really positive thing to come out of this year. It was like, I just, I started feeling, because like I, you know, it's not like, I have a very neutral relationship to my gender. It just is what I am. And this was the year that I actually, like, I feel good about this. Like, I don't feel shitty and misgendered all the time. Like, I feel good existing just kind of in my skin. Yeah. I also just, like, stopped attending events. Because <laughs> I... There's still events? It's a, a little bit of that... It's a little bit of, like, the reading yeah. the room thing. Like, a bunch of events mm. moved to Zoom, and I just... I don't I don't want to go to a Zoom event. Like part of the draw of in-person events for me is one there's free food and wine. Hey. And two, you've just spent 8 hours like looking at a screen. Now you can like go and hang out with people and meet new people and have interesting conversations. And you know, certainly I missed that. I think it took me about 6 weeks of like proper isolation before I was like, oh, I'd really like to see yeah. a friend. <laughs> Cuz I I'm bouncing around a number of topics here. I had a meeting with my psych over the phone about a month in, and I was like, I don't feel that lonely, but I did start crying in a meeting the other day. And we kind of talked about it, and she was like, I'll be really interested to like hear when you do start to feel lonely. And it was about after about six weeks, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I'd really like to see a friend for a coffee. Like, that'd be really cool. Yeah. I really miss that. But it's just kind of like... I think understanding myself a lot more. Like, I knew I was introverted, but I'm, like, proper introverted, <laughs> eh? Like, I don't want to do a lot of this. Like, there are things I get from it, but I definitely expended a lot of energy on mm. it as well. And this year, I mean, that energy went to do scrolling mostly. Like, it just kind of transferred oh, yeah, straight over. Yeah. But it's kind of like, yeah, like, feeling better about myself and, like, knowing a little bit more about myself than I did mm. before. I think those were the two good things to come out of it. It has been quite interesting just by nature of having to spend so much time with myself. How little introspection I have done. (laughs) I'm sorry, I shouldn't be laughing, but this is very funny. Please continue. (laughs) Yeah, this is another good thing, I guess, to come out of the pandemic is, okay, spending so much time alone. Like, I don't mind being alone, but I, I I feel like I haven't, well, not I feel like, I know, <laughs> I haven't seen a friend outside of my household for since, for a while. <laughs> and, you know, it gets to a point where it gets you. But spending so much time just kind of with yourself, It's made me, at least, realise how much I have, what's the word, relied on other people, or how much I look to other people for 
things that I really should be looking within myself for. So that's things like identity, like the idea of who I am as a person. That's things like validation and self-worth. I realized how much I was counting on other people to validate my own self-worth, which was never something like I didn't think I was like that, you know? But then after spending so much time by myself, it's like, oh, like, why do I feel worthless and shitty? And then realizing that, like, oh, I have been looking at other people for that. And that's, I mean, that's fine to an extent, but I really should be getting, like, the majority of that validation from myself and the things that I do. And that has been a revelation, not a comfortable revelation at all. And frankly, a little bit embarrassing to say out loud, but a revelation nonetheless. <laughs> yeah, I definitely, I don't meditate as much as I should. <laughs> Neither. <sighs> I meditated a day and just started crying uncontrollably. And I was like, oh, so that's where my brain's at. Good to know. I'm just going to stop doing this now. I'm good. But I think like, yeah, I, I felt very lucky as maybe... <laughs> Not exactly the right word. Going into lockdown, just simply because, like, the combination of sort of having had regular therapy for kind of two years at the point that we went into lockdown, as well as, like, just being an autistic introvert, they're very much strengths going into lockdown Mm. because coming out of it now, no one remembers how to talk to anyone. (laughs) People are garbage at holding conversations. So I'm just like, oh, hey, me too. Good luck, mates. Uh, Welcome to my world. Let me, let me pass you my Rolodex of appropriate topics of conversation. <laughs> Have a flick through. See if you find one that you like. Mm. I certainly was not hit by it as hard as a lot of people were. And I feel very, very lucky from that. I also made the fucking abhorrent decision to come off Valium this year. Mm. But my doctor maintains it was the correct decision. So we'll just go with what she says. Mm -hmm. And like I basically like graduated from my psych this year as well. Like in sort of August, she was like, we don't need to keep seeing each other regularly. Like you're kind of fine. It's the classic 2020 paradox where actually personally, it's been kind of a baller year for me, right? Like, But politically, the world is bad. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I felt the same way in 2016. Like, personally, that was a really good year for me. But then, like, (laughs) everything out in the world was, like, on fire. Yeah. Yeah. I think everyone has learned something about themselves this year. And I think that learning, like, I know a lot of garbage has happened, and I don't want to, like, downplay anyone's grief around this year Mm -hmm. because – even if you haven't lost someone, I think it is very valid to, like, essentially grieve for the year that oh, we yeah. missed out on. The year that nothing could fucking happen. Yeah. <laughs> like, you moved to you moved to Germany, Serena. I moved to Europe to travel. <laughs> last year, oh, last last year, I guess, 2019, December-ish, I, like... <laughs> I this is so cheesy I went through like this little reflection and like year ahead little worksheet very cutesy and it was all about like reflecting on the year that you had and then thinking about the year ahead and like your plans for it your your hopes and dreams and you know all of that 
And I went through that little exercise again last week, you know, to reflect on the year that was and to think about the year ahead. I did not finish that exercise. I got one page into that exercise. (laughs) But before that, I, I read last year's one. And it is like watching a child talk about Santa. It's like, oh, Oh. honey. (laughs) It was all about like, oh, I'm so excited about like all the adventures I'm going to have and I'm going to, you know, see the world and meet new people and like learn more about, you know, how big the world is and, and all these like different histories and cultures and and architecture and oh my goodness and like all of the the goals and like aspirations and stuff were around like traveling and just reading that and being like that's kind of hilarious (laughs) I mean mostly sad but kind of hilarious let's be honest yeah so like goals this year is you know what let's Let's just focus on doing okay. And I think that's that's fair, right? I mean, this year has been the year to focus on just like surviving rather than thriving. And next year, at least until you get vaccinated, like focus on surviving rather than thriving. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then get vaccinated and live your best mm-hmm. life. It's been strange the number of times I've had to say that to people because they're feeling bad about not like sort of kicking all of their goals during a literal pandemic Hmm. and it's just like no no buds like you got food you got water you got shelter you got netflix you're good good. like you're all good Mm -hmm. (laughs) just take it just run with it you're fine you don't have to be productive or perfect or you know like like i i feel like i've been very lucky in that like I've had a workplace during this that's just been like, oh yeah, no, your brains are broken from this. It's fine. Mm. Just do what you can. Yeah. I'd like but, our listeners all to know yeah. that I have gained zero new skills during lockdown. I have done no new projects and that is perfectly fine. And that is good even. In fact, I got yeah. halfway through a number of projects oh. and that is also perfectly fine and very valid. That's perfectly fine. So when we wanted to chat again on this podcast, we were talking about the original plan was that I was going to ask you about the mRNA vaccine, which I am still very excited to hear you talk about more. I did a little bit of reading. It is very cool. So next time. Next time time. on Things of Interest. Yes, we'll, we'll talk science again. I just needed a bit of a way to ease myself back into things. Well, this has been really lovely. That's been another episode of Things of Interest. We have talked about pandemic brains. We've talked about how the benefits should be raised literally everywhere. We've talked about please how to think better about healthcare systems and accessibility. And we've just generally kind of yelled about the pandemic. I'm sorry if that's your entire life right now, but it's ours too. <laughs> okay. So that's what the podcast is. <laughs> As always, if you if you like us, if you're glad we're back, leave us some reviews wherever you've accessed this podcast. We're on Facebook at Things of Interest. We're on Twitter at Casting Interest. We have an email. It's castinginterest at gmail.com. Yeah. And our website is thingsofinterest.co. So that's all the places you can find us. I've been Sophia France. And I'm Serena Chen. And as always, stay interesting. <laughs>